Chapter Twenty Three of Miss Frances Baird Detective by Reginald Wright Kaufman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My friend, the thief. The conductor might be right. Bromley Deneen might have seen a friend on the platform at Burtonville, but I thought it far more likely that he had recognized an enemy on the train. However, in any case, I was not at the best end of the horn, and what to do next puzzled me not a little. Would the lad return at once to Black Springs and the Maples, or would he wait until he thought me safely out of the way, and then resume his journey to New York? I could not determine, but if he had gone back home it was obviously impossible for me to follow him there too suddenly. And so, though I realized the chance that, if he did come on to the city, he might avoid me by getting off the train uptown, I yet decided that I could best employ my time by watching, as well as might be, the passengers disembarking from all of the next several trains that stopped at Burtonville. I did this until noon, but to no purpose. I stood in the Grand Central Station until my legs ached, and the red-capped attendants began to eye me curiously. Then, at last, in desperation, I went out, got a good luncheon, and took the next train back to Black Springs. I had hardly passed the door of the Maples ere I was told that old Mr. Deneen had been asking for me, and, going to his room, I found the master of the house sitting by his window, looking more like a prisoner than Lawrence in his cell, and surrounded by a great heap of the morning papers, which still kept ringing changes upon the Deneen murder. "'Hello, Miss Baird,' he said not unkindly. "'I've been asking about you.' "'Yes,' I answered. "'I have had to go to town on a little private business.' "'So Bromley was saying. He met you on the train, didn't he?' That at least solved my problem about the course pursued by my former fellow-traveller, but it opened wider than ever the question of what he had done on returning, so I answered his father warily. "'He went as far as Burtonville with me,' I replied. "'Hm, yes. Well, Miss Baird, what have you found out by now?' "'Nothing new, I am afraid. The case seems still pretty dark, though I am now on the track of what I hope will turn out to be one or two new facts.' "'Nothing new, huh? Well, well, so we get the guilty man. I don't care what it costs me. But Bromley's been saying that you have told Kemp you are rather coming round to his way of thinking again, after all.' "'Yes, I did tell him that.' He looked at me quickly, as if I had made just the answer he had been fencing for. "'Now, Miss Baird,' he suddenly demanded, and I saw the grey hairs on his throat working up and down. "'Is that the truth, or ain't it?' For the moment he had me. Following the common instinct of the surprised human being, I lied. "'Why, yes, Mr. Deneen, it's the truth, of course.' "'But you didn't talk that way to me, the last time I saw you in private.' "'Perhaps not, but in one respect my attitude has never changed, Mr. Deneen. I am a good enough detective always to be open to conviction by the facts.' With some difficulty he raised himself to a standing posture, his long arms shaking as they bore his weight in getting out of the chair. "'Miss Baird,' he said, "'I am going to be perfectly frank with you. I've asked you this because Bromley thinks you've been acting strangely, and that, by God, you might be suspecting even him.' There was a fair proposition. It was so fair, in fact, that it made me see very clearly one thing which I had not previously noted, and that was that I had no right to stay under this man's roof so long as I was doing him the poor service of seeking to connect his younger son with the murder of his firstborn. But I did not want to give myself away completely, 
so I pretended to be hurt at the suggestion. "'Mr. Deneen,' I said, with what dignity I could muster, "'if you doubt my word, there is only one thing left for me to do, and that is to leave your house and your employ with as little loss of time as possible.' There was this danger, that I might have overshot my mark, and that he might have been so convinced by my acting, as to insist on my remaining in a position which I now saw to be impossible. But apparently Bromley had been busy enough during my absence to do away with the danger of such an occurrence, for the old man now began to talk in a strain which showed me only too plainly that my days of favour were at an end. "'Well,' he said, "'I don't know but you're right. You're wrong in saying that I doubt your word, Miss Baird. I take that as your bond.' but, you see, it's this way. He had got so far when I unexpectedly interrupted him. I had caught a sound from the hall, and springing to the door, flung it wide. Sure enough, there was Bromley dodging down the corridor. Pardon me, I said, coming calmly back, but leaving the door wide behind me. I thought somebody knocked. You were saying? That it is this way, ma'am. I hired you because you thought Kemp was wrong and had got the wrong man. But now you think he's right. Well, if he's right, and we've got him fast enough, there ain't much use in your staying on. Mr. Deneen, I answered, I see the force of your argument. There are one or two things that I want to arrange before I return to New York, and they will take until tomorrow. But I promise you that by tomorrow evening I shall have left the Maples. Just what I really did propose to do, beyond taking lodgings in Black Springs, I would have found it hard to say, and indeed I had to acknowledge that I would be sorely handicapped if I was henceforth to be denied the run of the Deneen house and grounds. But this did not, of course, occur to the old man, and he seemed so ingeniously pleased at having ended my service to him that he was almost genial in his protestations that I should take my own time, and be just one of the family, meanwhile. However, I left him and wandered somewhat aimlessly into Black Springs, with some thought of communicating with Mr. Gray, and looking for quarters, and there, as I passed the station for the second time that day, I saw another familiar figure. Ambrose Kemp was just getting aboard a train, and, I could be almost sure, there was that same mysterious bulge to his overcoat pocket which had so fascinated me in Bromley's appearance some hours before. Without a moment's hesitation I followed, but this time I would make no mistake. I got into the car next to that which Kemp had entered and contented myself with making sure, by means of the window opening on the intervening car platform, that he remained aboard until we pulled into 42nd Street. There the trail waxed hotter. Kemp took the elevated to 23rd Street, and I followed. At the depot he almost saw me, but I dodged and dogged him again. He crossed the street twice, and this should have warned me, but I was too excited now to think much, and as he rounded the corner at Broadway, I swept through the crowd after him, and landed plump in his arms. "'Now, then,' he said, his olive face turned red and his little moustache turned stiff and warlike, "'this will be about all from you, Miss Baird. You haven't got a kid to deal with this time.' I gasped, wriggled, and got free, but all that I could achieve in the way of utterance was, "'What do you mean?' "'That Laird didn't lose track of you twice running. That he wired ahead that you had got on my train.' and that I got his message as soon as we got to Burtonville. Ever since then I've known that you were following me. It was just dusk, and the usual six o'clock crowd was thronging Broadway, but in its midst 
we stood only jostled and unnoted. "'Very well,' I said defiantly. "'What are you going to do about it?' "'The simplest thing in the world. It's as plain as a pikestaff. If you don't leave me, I'll have you arrested for accosting me on the street.' You can imagine the passion I flew into. I could have choked the fellow then and there, and gone to the gallows gladly for it later on. In fact, I was too angry to speak, and it was lucky that this was so, for what I would have had to say would not have helped matters, and in the midst of my silent anger there came, all at once, the white light of inspiration. "'Very well,' I said. "'You've got me. I'll go.' "'All right,' he sneered. "'But I want to see you go, and you won't walk or take a surface car either. You'll go on the L, and then I don't care whether you get off at the next stop or no.' To that also I agreed, though not too readily, lest he should begin to doubt my sincerity. I let him take me to the nearest L station, let him go through the turnstile, and even let him help me aboard. "'Anyhow,' he said in a half-relenting farewell, "'you needn't have bothered, for what we're after hasn't a thing to do with this murder. That much I'll tell you, and it's God's truth.' Very likely not murder, I reflected, as the train rushed away with me, but certainly robbery. I understood now why Kemp had had me watched. He had all along protested that the jewels might be hidden somewhere about the grounds, and he had feared that I might find them. Then, and this had been my inspiration of 23rd Street and Broadway, he had found them himself, with Bromley Deneen. Either that, or else Bromley had found them, where, if he was the murderer, he had left them, and had come to Kemp, or vice versa. And the temptation had been too much for them. The jewels, they had argued, were stolen anyhow, so far as their real owner was concerned, they would keep them for themselves. What it now behoved me to do was to find out whether Bromley was not really in pressing need of money, a very likely theory, to assume, as I promptly did, that Kemp was never above theft so long as it was safe, and to trace the jewels, in that no longer mysterious box, to their destination. Pawnbrokers I knew Kemp would not touch. I must therefore look for fences, and with this in mind I had soon reversed my direction, had reached Washington Square, had crossed it, and had plunged into the heart of the French district to the tenement where my old acquaintance, Whitey Gilbert, the second-story man, lived with Madame, his wife, once lady's maid to a Fifth Avenue matron of more wealth than discretion. It was Madame who met me as I reached the top of a long flight of narrow stairs over a dirty café. No, Monsieur was not chez moi. She regretted it exceedingly, but what would you? Nonsense, I said, raising my voice. Mr. Gilbert knows me. Tell him that it's only Miss Baird, and that she has something that will be worth money to him. And at that, as I had hoped, Whitey came forth, a short, stocky little American, with blonde hair, kindly eyes, and a round, merry face. Evening, Miss Baird, he said as unconcernedly as you please. I thought I recognized your voice. Hello, I answered. I'm glad to see you. I want to talk to you on a little matter of private business. Gilbert made a motion with his hand, and Madame vanished through the door by means of which her good spouse had just made his entrance. She's all right, he explained, as we took the only two chairs in the bare little whitewashed room under the roof. But she ain't wise, see? I nodded and got at once to business. Whitey, I said, I've got a job for you to help me on. "'Sorry, Miss Baird, but I don't believe I can help you. 
I've been on the dead level ever since that Forbes game came off. Deed I have. Oh, cut it out, cut it out. I always talk to Whitey in something as much like his own Argo as possible. This is a safe thing. I helped you once, didn't I? He nodded his curly head, and indeed I had helped him, for I had given him a chance to get clear of the Gunnison diamond case by telling me where I could find Mrs. Reardon's tiara. Well, I resumed, now I want you to help me, and with that I gave him a description of the jewels I wanted to know about, and told him to report to me just as soon as he had found with what particular fence they had been deposited. He was a little uncertain at first, because these people have all that honor which veracious proverb attributes to their class, but they have also the expert's jealousy of amateurs, and to clinch my bargain it only required a mention of the name of Kemp as that of the suspect. "'Woon I, though,' grinned Whitey. "'I do time myself to get him pinched. It was him tied me up in that Drewmore Ruby game.' Thus it was that I left Gilbert's hospitable roof with hope renewed, and, having telegraphed two friends in the employ of an agency which rivaled that of Mr. Watkins, and asked them to look up the condition of Bromley Deneen's finances, I was able to make an early evening train back to Black Springs, and to get a good rest during my last night at the Maples. End of chapter 23